It's like if you ask me, how does my liver feel about like processing the meal I had last night? <laughs> it can't tell you that, right? It just doesn't have the ability. So it's like to try to ask the brain what was really meaningful to you is difficult because that happens passively below our conscious awareness because we think we know our brain so well. We think we know ourselves so well. Welcome back to Power Talking, the official podcast of eSource. That was Laura Bevan Yates, Senior Vice President of Customer Success at Immersion Neuroscience, partner of eSource that recently worked with us on an exciting new mobility study looking at how people's brains respond to electric vehicle advertisements to see exactly where we can provide more motivation to get folks to adopt electric vehicles. As always, this is your host, Brian Jungers. I'm the Director of Mobility at eSource. Rachel Cooper, our Director of Market Research at eSource, and I had an interesting conversation with Laura about their technology and our recent pilot study with Immersion. Let's get into it. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Brian? Doing pretty good. Um, Thanks for joining us, Laura. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Great. Um, All right, well, let's play power talking two truths and a lie. (laughs) I love it. I'm ready. (laughs) Terrified and ready to go. (laughs) Okay. I will say three statements and you all can guess which one you think is the lie. Okay. So statement number one, when Rachel Cooper was a kid, she wanted to be a spy when she grew up. (laughs) (laughs) Statement number two, immersion neuroscience techniques are based on technology that was originally developed by the CIA. And statement number three, eSource is interested in understanding how effective EV ads are in people's brains so that we can become the next Tesla Motors and sell a bunch of electric cars to people. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard one. It really is. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Rachel, you would never want to be, you know, like a, a spy, right? Right. It, has, it doesn't align with what I do right now at all. <laughs> is this for both of us? Is someone guessing? Or yeah, it's it's a it's a group game. It's a collaborative. I'm gonna go with C. <laughs> Same. I gotta go with C. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish we could sell a bunch of EVs and be the next Tesla, but I, I don't think that's gonna happen. Right. You never know. I mean, with the proper messaging, exactly. <laughs> we can get those ads dialed in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cool. Laura, could you tell us a little bit more about what immersion neuroscience is and like what do you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So Immersion Neuroscience is a neuroscience software platform that our um, partners use to basically understand whether or not people are connecting with experiences, with content. Ultimately, we are trying to measure what people's brains value. And we do that by actually tapping into smartwatches and fitness devices that people already own. Okay. So you're you, it's like a bring your own device kind of program, huh? It, it is. It is a bring your own device. I, I worked previously actually in, in kind of neuromarketing. And one of the challenges in that space is that oftentimes you have to do things in a lab. And so what we're really working to do is meet people where they are, measure people by tapping into devices they already own so that we can really understand in a natural setting whether or not they're connecting with an experience. 
That sounds really cool. Uh, how exactly does that work, though? Um, what are you tapping into? That's a great question. So, uh, to without going into too much dirty detail of the years of science that went into this, <laughs> but we can certainly <laughs> dig into that. Um, you know, we actually emerged from an academic lab and. The, the goal of what we're measuring is really trying to, again, understand the brain from a brain perspective when the brain is, is getting value from an experience. And the way that we can measure that by looking at smartwatches is that when the brain is actually having a really highly connective experience, a couple things happen. Number one, it releases dopamine. That actually helps the brain to say, hey, attend to this thing. We're constantly bombarded by things in the world trying to capture our attention. And when the brain releases dopamine, it says, hey, okay, this thing is something worth putting attention toward. The other thing that really matters is that the brain, once it starts attending to something and getting value from that thing, it actually starts releasing oxytocin when it has a high connection to that content. And that can be because it's new information, because it's super emotional, because it's something that just triggers the interest. But the process of the brain releasing oxytocin stores those experiences to memory. And it also actually causes a release in the body. The oxytocin binds to our vagus nerve, that innervates the heart. And because it innervates the heart, it actually changes the patterns of our heartbeat, the way our heart beats. So that's how we can actually use smartwatches and fitness sensors today to understand when people are in this kind of high brain connection state. But again, this is 20 years of research in the making. So it sounds super simple now, but uh, <laughs> it, it was it took a while to get here. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That sounds pretty high tech. And I've heard that this is a CIA developed technology originally. And you know, you're keeping track of people's pulses to understand what's going on in their brain, which I think some people might be a little creeped out by. So like, why should folks be uh, embracing this technology and these applications versus being, you know, kind of big brother scared of what, what you guys are doing? Of course. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, we so this actually emerged from an academic lab. And so um, we did get funding from the U.S. government to help with this. But as an academic lab, what we started with is really trying to understand about people being connected to an experience that ultimately makes it meaningful for them. And so we started from a human perspective. We did get funding from the government, but ultimately our goal has always been to help improve the human experience in connecting with, ex to help improve humans to have more deeply connective experiences so that content and experiences that they have are really meaningful to them. Now, of course, uh, you know, that was back in the day, we actually used to do blood draws and we were looking at hormone levels and it was fully <laughs> opt-in and you can imagine how crazy that was. So yeah. talk about creep factor. <laughs> there was some there. Um, but, you know, if you actually fast forward to where we are now as a, as a company and a technology, after, you know, 20 years of research that included some of that funding from the U.S. government, um, moving to where we are now, the, the U.S. government funding really challenged us to be able to scale measuring this deep connective state. And so when we set out to really expand beyond blood draws, that's where we started looking at this kind of smartwatch and, and fitness device technology. Now today, in order to participate, in order for us to be able to measure immersion for an individual second by second, it's fully opt-in. So the individual downloads an app to their phone. They have the opportunity to enter fully anonymously 
And so they can enter as a guest. They never into the app. They never need to, uh, you know, share any of their personal information. We are after they download the app, they do pair their fitness device to the app. Of course, they're choosing to do that as well. But also we are capturing second by second the shifts in their cardiac rhythm. But that data is actually sent to the cloud and it is converted into our measure of immersion, which is output from zero to 100. When it's converted to that measure of immersion, what that means is that the PII, that personal information in their physiologic data that's going to the cloud is never shown on the dashboard to any clients. There's no traceability of their physiologic data back to them. And also on our dashboard, the data is fully anonymized. So we've actually implemented a number of different checks and balances to make sure that people understand they're fully opting in, they are completely anonymized. The other thing that I'll note is that when it comes to actually joining a measurement, so for example, when people are watching content or having an experience, they actually have to choose to start data collection on their phone. So for us, it's hugely important that people understand we're never passively measuring. Uh, we're not trying to be big brother. We're not, you know, we're, we're trying to eliminate as much of the creep factor as possible. And at the end of the day, we're not drawing your blood either. So, <laughs> there's no there. so it's nice. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, that was fully opt-in as well, just FYI. <laughs> Weren't strapping people down. <laughs> Let's hope. Oh, we had some fun in those days. I mean, we had fainters and it was like multiple opt-in, like make sure you understand two blood draws. And so now it's actually really easy because again, we can fully protect anonymity. People already have a, an Apple Watch or fitness devices are wearing. I mean, you know, it's a cakewalk today. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a little curious because, I mean, I work for eSource and Rachel works for eSource and stuff we do is a little more boring than that. So like, Rachel, <laughs> how do we take that kind of technology and turn it into something that, that we could use with our customers at the utilities? Yeah, well, it really started um, because we've been doing, we've been conducting EV consumer research for several years now. And unlike other countries, the U.S., um, in the U.S., awareness and adoption has pretty much remained stagnant, um, at least for most parts of the country. And so despite, you know, how important they are for meeting decarbonization and sustainability goals. And so we really need to figure out how to um, accelerate this market and get, um, folks, you know, driving EVs, especially those who are interested in in, in buying in the near future, um, getting those people to actually act on that and purchase will help accelerate, you know, move things down the the adoption curve and accelerate um, EVs. And so, when we came across Immersion and learned more about what they did and had a chance to you know, test some things out, we we realized that this was the best place to start um, doing research with them. Um, because like Laura said, typically these types of projects are, are really expensive. They take a long time. You have to recruit people to go into you know, a building and do testing and it, it takes a really long time. And so this is a, a much faster, quicker way to get to the, the end goal, which is understanding what's gonna resonate with, with folks and get people to act and, and like I said, accelerate adoption. That's awesome. And, you know, I've, I've been working in this game for a while. I remember in 2012 at the eSource Forum, I gave a presentation about electric vehicle advertisements and how 
terrible they largely were and <laughs> told the EV folks within the utilities, hey, you need to get out there and start marketing EVs because they're not going to market themselves and the automakers are really not very good at it. And at the time, everyone said, uh, that's interesting, <laughs> uh, but we're not going to do anything. <laughs> so it's cool to see that you're like throwing some heavyweight technology behind this um, and, and maybe establishes some credibility, I would assume, with you know how how effective this is. Right, right. Yes. Um, Laura, you can talk to the credibility of this research, but um, definitely, like you said, years in the making. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that excites me so much about the partnership that we have is that, you know, our technology platform is actually built, all of our algorithms are built to not only, again, identify that brain state where people are really having a moment of high connectivity, but also we've shown that those moments predict their future action. It predicts what they're likely to remember. And so this true challenge, of course, that we've faced in, in getting more people to adopt to purchase EVs is about moving behavior, changing behavior. And so by understanding what kinds of messages people in these different kind of the different buying trajectory trajectories, what messages are connecting with those people in those different periods of buying, it helps us understand how do we move them down the right path to actually purchase? How do we change their behavior? How do we know that they're actually absorbing information to a point where it's likely to open them up to being willing to adopt an EV, right? Because people won't always tell you. I mean, if you ask them, hey, how was that ad? They're likely to say, yeah, it's something that connected with me because I know this is an important topic. But unfortunately, what people say they plan to do or say that is what is resonating, it doesn't predict action. We need to understand from a brain level what's really breaking through the noise and, and ultimately being encoded to change that behavior. The classic stated preferences problem. <laughs> <laughs> I used to teach about it when I taught intro psychology and it hasn't changed since then, unfortunately. Uh, it's a classic problem for a reason, I think. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's not that people don't want to be honest. It's just, it's hard, right? There are so many factors that affect what we say we plan to do or what we say we prefer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Rachel, can you tell us how did we uh, work with Immersion to to assess this for you know EV advertisements for for e-source customers? Yeah. So you know we like I said we've done a lot of research um, with consumers around this. So we've already kind of identified like what are the barriers, what are what's hanging people up, and so we could use that to inform this study. Um, we tested nine different ads. We looked at some uh, OEM ads, some utility ads, um, both EV and non-EV. We included a, a climate change ad. Um, we did some pre and post survey questions. So at the beginning, we kind of asked, you know, where, you know, how soon do they think they're going to buy an EV? What are the barriers to it? Those kinds of things. Had them view the the ads and. You know, we can talk more about that, but they were randomized and, you know, trying to take all of the bias out of it, um, watch the ads. And then we'd follow up with some um, post content viewing questions to understand, you know, what did they recall? What, you know, 
one thing that was interesting to me to see, you know, the comments about what was most surprising to them. Sometimes those comments countered a barrier that they had mentioned before they viewed the content. And so that's really in addition to that. And then, you know, immersion second by second tracking, we can really understand what are the messages that are kind of coming, overcoming those barriers that people mentioned. Mm. What are the tactics what are the images and the, you know, storytelling tone, all of that stuff that's really going to, um, catch people's attention and get them to you know remember this and act on it down the road. That's cool. And can you tell us sort of what some of the findings were, or what the most interesting uh, conclusions that you came to? Sure. Um, one that, you know, we, we sort of knew, but again, just helpful to have validation and understand how to like a solution for it. Um, we know that there's that there's differences in where folks are at in the purchase journey. So those that are, you know, near, you know, thinking about purchasing the next year, they're further along and they've done more research and they know a little bit more. So it was helpful to identify what kinds of you know, things that they were interested in. So they're really trying to figure out like which model to buy, what's gonna fit their lifestyle. Um, where are the charging stations? How am I going to charge this thing? So they're really thinking about, you know, what they're going to buy. And then that immediate next step of like, how do I, how do I use this thing? Um, whereas those were, who are a little bit further out, um, they, you know, there's a few more myths and barriers to overcome. They were more interested in or immersed in, in messaging around the range and the cost benefits um, the lower maintenance involved with these vehicles. So, you know, again, just, um, interesting to see, you know, where people were immersed, um, and where they were at in the, in the purchase journey. We also saw a lot of, a lot of differences about, you know, around different, um, customer groups too. So the low to moderate income folks have, you know, things resonated with them that differed from those who have higher incomes or urban versus rural, um, things like that. Laura, did you do you have any insights you want to share on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, exactly what Rachel said, the, the fact that we can see not only what, you know, eSource has already identified as these A, key barriers, but also some of the considerations that they're making, being able to see that those points in messaging are really connecting with people is hugely important because it shows there's an opportunity and an appetite and an openness to absorb that information. And so now the next step is really making sure that we find the right ways to connect with people around those messages again, so that then, you know, the people who are buying in the next year don't have the concerns about where they're going to charge or what the charging station is going to look like at home, because those are the small things that are keeping them from saying, hey, I'm going to go to the dealer tomorrow to make this purchase. Right. So I think being able to really know how to hone in not only on the messages, but also one of the things that I know Rachel and I are so excited about is growing this research so that we can also understand what are different messaging tactics? Because we can take this one message and speak to it in different ways. So we saw those who are in the market in the next year, they really connected with this kind of, you know, sarcastic approach that this one ad, uh, this one OEM EV ad did, uh, took. And the fact that that connected with them was really interesting because it was taking this kind of a sarcastic, like, oh no, EVs aren't for you. You can take that fun approach with people and then, you know, who are in the, the market in the next year, but that is not the same approach that you necessarily want to take when you're targeting people who are still a little further out. <laughs> right. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. And so uh, just tell us more. What does that next phase of research look like? What does it look like to grow this out? 
Yeah. So um, basically, like Laura said, we need to scale this research. We want to build, um, you know, basically just a more robust and impactful set of insights. You know, we've touched on some of the messaging. Um, there's definitely more ads that we want to test, the different tactics and, and um, you know, imaging and all of those other parts that we'd like to dive into a little deeper. Um, do more comparison between the OEMs and the utility ads and, you know, figure out lessons learned and what's really working best. Um, and then really make sure, making sure that we dive into specific customer groups. So we know that the low to moderate income group is, is um, they've got different concerns and needs um, than maybe the, the early adopters had. Um, those living in multi-unit housing, they're gonna have different charging needs. And so what are the kinds of things that are gonna resonate with them to, to see that it's still a possibility for them, even though they might have this different barrier. Um, the urban rural divide obviously is a big one. Um, you know, things like that. So there's just specific groups that we know we need to, or we want to dive into more deeply to, to build on this research and have um, more robust insights. Yeah, I think one of the surprising things also when it came to, you know, the, the, the initial study that we did, it was, I think, surprising to both Rachel and I to see that these, you know, one and a half to two minute informative utility ads actually did have points that were very connective. And so I think to Rachel's point, being able to test those different, like, a number of different ads produced by different people who take different tactics, again, to see what kinds of groups can these really connect with and potentially, again, move along that consideration path. Because, of course, we know that the barriers for those subgroups may differ as well, like Rachel mentioned, for people who are in rural areas versus urban versus lower income. So, you know, learning that, hey, you can actually take this informational approach and it's going to work well for some people and not others is an important understanding so that we know how to really target that messaging to reach these goals that have been set. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, I, I'm curious, Laura, like what other types of applications or, or uses are you applying this technology? So where are you like, seeing other inroads into the market and, and ways that you're, you're uh, applying this? That's a great question. So, you know, we have customers who are using us in all different types of ways. Um, you know, we have customers who are using this in the space of understanding user experiences, understanding um, whether or not, you know, messaging for certain programs. Rachel and I have talked about a lot of other applications, even that would be valuable for eSource, you know, knowing what kinds of program concepts might connect with different audiences, um, really understanding you know, are there other barriers to certain journeys in adoption programs? Um, in addition to measuring content, we have customers who are also using us for live experiences. So I could even imagine, you know, looking at people going and test driving EVs. How do we make that experience more exciting, more invigorating? Uh, you know, maybe creating virtual programs where they could see what it would like to drive this. You know, there's any time you can imagine wanting to understand if an experience or content is connecting with people to a point where, again, it's, it, it's there's an unconscious kind of trigger that makes it memorable, it makes it meaningful, it makes it something that they store for later, because ultimately that's how we help people to adopt, you know, engage in these appropriate behaviors, basically. So there's kind of this whole span that we, we've worked in a lot of different spaces, but I think there's a lot of opportunity, again, specifically for eSource to think about those kind of programs and goals and, and helping both utility companies, other types of companies, and consumers really work toward achieving those. That's great. 
Rachel, do you have more to say about ways you think that uh, you know, eSource and, and Immersion can work on, on future projects? Yeah, no, I think everything that that um, Laura mentioned is um, are, you know, obviously things that we've talked about and, and visions that we have. Um, you know, we wanted to start with mobility because it's it's important to, you know, again, meeting those decarbonization and sustainability goals. We know that utilities are trying to to crack this nut and work on that. So we'd love to work with utilities to, you know, build the, the EV or the mobility research up. Um, but then we see opportunities for using this around, you know, messaging around sustainability or climate change or infrastructure, um, other other things like that that are really important to this industry and, and you know, eSource's mission in, in creating a sustainable future. One of um, <clears throat> we actually just released a white paper that was looking at um, specifically changing conservation behaviors. And this particular white paper, we looked at three different messages that are that were targeted at changing behavior. And not only did we look at their immersion during those particular, like while people were watching that content, but then we also asked them after the fact whether or not they were willing to donate money to these different organizations. And one of the things that for us as a company is really important is that we don't just say immersion is better because you should have higher immersion. For us, the gold standard is being able to connect that to behavior. And in this white paper, in this study, we found that the ad that actually generated the most immersion is the one that also drove the most donation behavior. So directly to Rachel's point, you know, th that's what matters is, is connecting with people in a way that, that transports them, that ultimately becomes part of their own internal message so that we ultimately see again, these more appropriate behaviors and more donation behaviors and more change behavior so that we can move toward a better world. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Where is that? <laughs> oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> I was just wondering that too. It's mine. I was wondering if you could pick that one up. I'm like, he's going nuts. I'm like, I can't get you right now. He's <laughs> torturing the dog. Yeah. It's my dog. I, I know we're getting an Amazon delivery today and I didn't want him inside cause he'll go nuts. Um, <laughs> And I was hoping you wouldn't be able to hear him, but apparently you can still hear him. I was just impressed there were no sirens. I live in LA, and so I think we got a little <laughs> bit lucky on the background traffic over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other thing. If a siren happens, then he will howl too. He's, so I figured it was just best to keep him outside, but he's not happy right now. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, Rachel, Laura, thank you so much for being here and joining us on Power Talking today. We really appreciate it. Very interesting conversation. It was a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks. If you want to learn more about our study with Immersion Neuroscience, we have a webinar that we just conducted with them a couple weeks ago. The recording is on our website. If you aren't an eSource member and don't have access, please reach out and let us know. We'd be happy to give you more information about how you can get involved. Thanks a lot and happy holidays to everyone.